the window had been busted out and our gear, part of our gear had been stolen. Uh, there's nowhere to play up here at all. I'm sitting there kind of by myself, like waiting for my marriage. And, and the mirrors, like they, the mirrors kind of like spin open like 90 degrees, like they kind of rotate open. And all these women in sexy lingerie can come walking out from behind the mirrors. I'm just well, going to throw this out there that it almost sounded like you were kind of the dark side sometimes of the scene. Just when I parted ways with monuments and say so it was a really, really desperate time of my life. At the end of it, our bass player told us, like, he just looked at us and was like, yeah, this is my last show. So, like, basically back to the beast era. Dealing with this alcohol intake and we're at a Christian festival and we're supposed to be a Christian band. I was like, man, this, this sucks. This is not a good look. side of the scene. I'm your host, Brayden. Normally, I'd be sitting alongside my co-host, Ed, but Ed cannot be with us here tonight. He's unavailable, so I'm going to be flying solo for this one. Basically, uh, kind of caught me off guard a little bit, but it is what it is. Typically, Ed and I will banter back and forth, but with him not being here, I have no one to banter with. I don't really have any complaints either. No gripes for the night. So with all that being said, this will be a different type of episode, I guess. But anyways, if you would like to be on an episode of Dark Side of the Scene, send an email to Brandon at DarkSideOfTheScene.com and we'll get scheduled on a future episode. We've gotten plenty of episodes turned out already, so this is just keeping it going. Definitely appreciate everyone that's been out there supporting us, following us, listening to the episodes. Guys are definitely kicking some ass out there for us. But for the time being, I'm going to go ahead and bring the guest on in. So hang tight and we'll get this thing started. I'd like to take the time to welcome my guest tonight, Jimmy. Jimmy, thanks for coming out and talking to me. Uh, thanks for having me here, Brendan. Looking forward to, uh, to jumping in and talking about some cool stuff. Yeah. Again, usually... My co-host is here, but he's kind of wrapped up in a project at the moment and wasn't able to get here in time, and I don't, it's not that I can't do it on my own, so no sense for him to try and rush through something. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Listen, life gets in the way of uh, of a lot of things, so I think uh, anything that has to do with like music or promoting music or, or anything that's uh, along the artistic avenue you know, we always have to make some sort of concession uh, here and there when it comes to the things that we're passionate about, right? So, yep, totally. Well, I guess we'll get the general questions out of the way. So, where are you from? So, I'm from Montreal, uh, born and raised. It's been uh, it's been quite a while that I was in uh, in bands, like in and out of uh, the music scene, and then I took uh, a long break actually for like almost. Uh, almost a decade and um, I was in a band called Sinistry uh, before like I'd taken the I've been on a hiatus and then um, towards the end of 2019 we decided to kind of like revive Sinistry as a bit of a, like a studio project almost because we had some songs that we were 
kind of sitting on. We had posted them like partly on Bandcamp, but not really uh, anywhere else. And then we revived that project and that kind of got me um, interested in doing the, uh, the whole like self-producing thing and learning about the software and like just music production in general. And like being a, a vocalist, I feel like it kind of like I already had like uh, two strikes against me because I wasn't like, you know, like playing an instrument, so to speak. Right. Like I wasn't uh, playing the guitar, playing the bass, playing the drums. Um, even though I had like some background in and I've written like uh, I've written songs in uh, in like synastry, like it was not. The, the easiest like transition, I guess you could say right off the bat. Um, but then, yeah, I kind of just uh, started grinding and learning everything uh, on my own while we were working with, uh, with a couple of different people. Like we worked with uh, JF Dagenet from uh, Cataclysm. We worked with, um, uh, with Chris Donaldson from Cryptopsy and Kevin Jardine from Slaves on Dope. And that's how, like that batch of like sinistry songs came about but after a while like the other guys were were kind of like not feeling it as much so um you know it's more a studio project than anything like we weren't touring um from 2020 onwards obviously um so we just kind of decided okay listen it's gonna be a studio project and i said to myself you know what i'm gonna teach myself everything from the ground up or keep teaching myself everything from the ground up uh, as i've been doing and i decided to uh to find like to found uh through mists which is my uh my solo project and slowly but surely i was piecing everything together and uh i gave myself a goal to release at least one track every month for um for like at least like a year and a half like i started what i said to myself once i start releasing music until like i started becoming um like burdened by it i don't want to re- like uh, i'm just going to release something every month so like it started with one song then it got to like a couple of eps a couple of now it's a couple of albums and it's just like you know when you get the ball rolling like things can uh can pick up steam pretty quick right so you find that it's easier to work by yourself than trying to collaborate with others <sighs> yes and no like the good thing about working by myself is I just have myself to argue with right so that's one thing like I have like my own ego and um, I just got to deal with that but like if you have three four five people that you're working with like I mean you have to kind of take everyone's ideas into consideration you have to take everyone's like egos and feelings into consideration it's a different dynamic and the one thing that's that's difficult, I guess, about being uh, solo is that you don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of, right? So there's yeah. there's that. Yeah. Um, that's like a, a big negative. But at the same time, like I'm very decisive. So I know if I like something, like I like it. If I don't like it, then I kind of just flush it. Um, and like maybe it was a good idea that could have been refined with someone else. But I mean, listen, you're always having to come up with good ideas, whether you're with with other people or, or running solo. So, yeah. um, I, you know, I kind of miss like doing stuff with other people too. Um, which I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't close off that, you know, it's fun to, to have friends and, and do stuff with them musically. So 
that's probably going to be in the, in the works down the road somewhere. But for through mists, I think I'm going to be uh, one manning it for the foreseeable future, I guess. You wouldn't want to make it into like your own, like have all the music put in place and then you bring someone else involvement to like play it live or you just keep it all solo. I don't know, man, like to play live, like I'm thinking about it. And if, if I were to, to, to play this music live, I wouldn't want to play guitar. I wouldn't want to play bass. I would just want to sing. And like, there's a lot of, there's like a lot of aspects like to the music. Cause there's like pianos and synths and stuff like that. And I'm the type of guy who, who values like efficiency and like ease of ease of use. So like when, like if I were to play it live, I guess like there'd be a lot of, uh, a lot of learning curve for whoever is going to pick up yeah. uh, the guitar, right? Because there's a lot of material too. So like they'd have to like sift through what they want to play, what they, what they can play. Cause like it's, I don't know, it's a lot. I would do it, I guess, but it's not, uh, it's not in my, in my viewpoint right now, but I would play live if given the opportunity and I could get uh, a couple of dedicated uh, players that would, that wouldn't mind like holding up the, uh, the instrument side of it and I would just do the vocals, I would be, I would be down. One of the guys we interviewed, I think it was on our first episode. Um, he wrote a lot of the stuff for the band that he has now originally. Mm -hmm. And he basically hired studio musicians to like record with him and then play with him. But now it's become like its own entity where they're now writing music as a group together, but originally started out as his own solo stuff. And we've talked to a couple other people that are kind of doing the same thing. They collaborate with people from other countries and yet they've managed to release stuff. And my co-host and I seem to struggle sometimes with like, currently I don't have a band, but he mm -hmm. does. And getting together for practice shows and everything, just trying to find people in your own like areas hard enough. And we've been talking to a lot of people that somehow are able to collaborate with people all across the planet. And, they don't seem to have these issues like we do trying to actually deal with people in person. It's tough, man. Like dealing with people in person, it's, uh, when you're, when you're like close by, you kind of take for granted how easy and how difficult it is at the same time. Right. Like if not everyone has the same drive or motivation for it, then it gets tough to like coordinate. Right. So like if you have four or five people and you need to like juggle the scheduling, like just to get to a band practice, let alone like stringing shows together. Or, you know, if you go, go away for like a week or two to, to do a tour or whatever, you know, like that stuff. So no. I get you, man. I get you. Like when, when I was younger uh, and we were touring a lot, like the, the four of us had like this, uh, this um, goal of just going out there and grinding. And we like put, like we put miles on our band. You know, now it's, my life is different now. It's, you know, I have like different uh, aspirations for myself. More of, more, it's, I guess it's a bit more selfish in the sense that I'm kind of just doing it for myself rather than to like, quote unquote, make it or make an impact in the scene type of thing. Or, you know, like I, I want my contribution, like what other people get out of it is some sort of enjoyment. But at the same time, like to go out and like be on the road I don't know, like the logistics of it just seems like so daunting to me, you know, even like to play a show, 
here in Montreal, which is like probably the easiest thing. It's like finding the people, getting on the same page, this and that, you know. Whereas like if you're collaborating uh, online and internationally, it's like, okay, well, there might have like a seven hour time difference or a 10 hour time difference with this person. But, you know, it doesn't really matter because they're going to, uh, they're going to go record their parts. They're going to send it to you or to someone else and they're going to mix it and master it or whatever the case is. And you don't have to think about it as much. So, yeah, yeah like there's that, right? Like if, you know, like if you're signing on to something, then like, especially like overseas or like long distance, then it's easy to get, it's easy to get bashed, right? Like if someone like doesn't live up to their potential or like live up to their word and then social media could be a, a very powerful thing to like out someone for being lazy, <laughs> lazy, I guess. But that's, that's kind of what this podcast kind of gets turned into, which was not, it is and it's not like, when we first started this, a lot of people were saying, oh, we're going to just cause a bunch of needless drama. We're going to destroy the scene, this and that. And that's not really what we're about. We're not out here trying to bash people. But at the same time, every scene has a lot of gatekeepers and they have a lot of flaky musicians that everyone ends up encountering. There's the same guy that's been in how many different bands? And you got to think about it for a second. Why has he got so many bands he's been in? Mm-hmm. Like, is he not a stable person to jam with does he got like issues like why is he always looking for projects like you always find that in almost every genre of music as well it's not just strictly the heavier stuff that has been mostly what we've interviewed is because ed and i come from metal bands ourselves but as we've been across the board excuse me it's basically almost everyone has encountered something similar when it comes to dealing with other people and the my only thing is, is like, it has to be something to do with the average musician is either a has a little bit of flakiness to themselves mm-hmm. or B they're very high strung and it's their way or the highway. And it's like, there's other things, but it's, some of these people are just so hard to work with. So it's almost gotten to the point where everyone does kind of do what you're doing, where they prefer just to write their own stuff because you don't have to deal with the bullshit of somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough, man. Like the, the flakiness, I think every musician has a little bit of the flakiness, right? Like otherwise they wouldn't like, they wouldn't be uh, like creative, right? Like if you don't have like some sort of creativity or like a wandering, uh, mind type of thing then like it's hard to like stay fresh and stay creative but like yeah there's there, there's levels of flakiness like you don't want to say like okay we're gonna jam at seven like from seven to like nine or whatever and then like the guy shows up at like nine thirty, like drunk off his ass and god knows what else you know yeah so um, there is there is a lot of that and yeah i mean i see people like jumping from band to band but Sometimes it's just like the, the combination of people doesn't work. And, you know, when they, well, sometimes when people do find the right, uh, the right like member mix, sometimes it's good. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they'll never find it. But yeah, there's a lot of people that, uh, that flake. So I experienced that a lot. Like in my teens, I was seeing people going from band to band, like, oh, yeah, we found a bassist. Oh, by the way, he's in like 
10 other bands because of whatever, you know, <laughs> the joke. Yeah. The joke around here, not so much as a joke, but we actually mention it quite a bit. There seems to be a lack of bass players and drummers in the world. So it always encourages everyone to have their kids learn to play bass and drums because those are the two positions that seem to always be open. <laughs> yeah. But, Surprisingly, a lot of the people we've interviewed so far have been bass players, which is strange because we talk about how no one ever has a bass player. They're always looking for a bass player, but we've interviewed quite a few bass players, so it's got me thinking that maybe it's something to do with the fact that the stigma these days is bass players are uh, unimportant, so they feel like they have to get on podcasts to talk about themselves because they're only time to shine because they're always hidden behind the guitar players and the vocalists and then the drummers <laughs> are like the last member of the band so they're wanting to get their five seconds of fame. It's the renaissance and revolution of the bass player, I guess. No, yeah, we've interviewed quite a few bass players and actually a couple of drummers as well. It's like, well, we, we keep talking about how it's hard to find them. We get guitar players or vocalists all the time, but you never find a bass player, you never find a drummer. But we've talked to quite a few so far. It's like, eh, maybe they're not that hard to find. It's just finding the right one. And But even around here, kind of like you said, there's typically, if there's a drummer, they're usually in a couple projects. Same thing with a good bass player. Like all the good musicians seem to be in several projects. Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, the, the singer from Soil Work has been on like so many albums, uh, like just in the past year or two. Like I've seen his like album credits and it's like, oh, God, how many bands is this guy in? But like, he's like, he's a machine, right? Like he knocks it out of the park every single time. Mm -hmm. So like there's that, right? But man, like it, it takes a while to really like gel. And it's funny though, because about bassists and drummers, you can never find like the right fit, right? But I feel like a bassist and a drummer need to gel better or like have more uh, of a natural chemistry than let's say if you have two guitarists in a band because like from my experience, if the two guitar, like if you have a two guitar band, <clears throat> if they're just pushing each other to be better guitarists in general, rather than like, let's say competing with each other or trying to like outdo one another, or whatever the case is, or like, you know, oh, you're, you're the rhythm player, I'm the lead player, and like being super like in the box about like their quote-unquote position in the band. Like I think the bass and drum uh, relationship is way more important just because of like how, how much like grooviness or like the rhythm section needs to be like locked in and like on the same page, mm -hmm. right? Then like... The guitarist is gonna, like if you're gonna play rhythms and you're gonna be playing heavy music, it needs to be tight, right? So if like the two guitarists are playing roughly the same thing, like you know, if you're harmonizing notes, you're you're sure you're picking the guitar the same way, right? Like whether it's like tremolo picking, whether it's like just uh, whatever, like uh, letting chords ring or just chugging, like you're doing the same thing. As long as you're on the same page as like like in that sense for guitarists. You know, it's easier to to find a guitarist that fits somewhere plus more people play guitar. But the really mm -hmm. solid bassists and the really solid uh, drummers that are like as a like working as a unit, that's like where the magic comes from. I feel like a lot of bass players too are uh, originally guitar players that got 
given a bass, but like, here, we can't find a bass player. Why don't you play guitar or why don't you play bass? <laughs> yeah, I've seen that happen a few times. But so anyways, I guess, uh, to keep this rolling here, um, the topics that we discuss obviously are some of the bad things you've encountered over time playing in bands. So do you have any stories that you'd want to talk about? Yeah. So they're mostly, um, I guess they're mostly uh, tour stories or like show related stories, like the, the bad stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I guess like, like funny enough, like this all happened or a lot of like the bad stuff happened, like on the, the same tour and on like the leg, like the same leg of the tour. So uh, I was, we were doing a, a cross Canada tour. So we left Montreal and we drove uh, to Vancouver and back. So it was like a three week thing <clears throat> going out West. There was like no problem. Like everything was great. You know, like we had good turnouts. We had, we got paid everything that we were promised and sold merch and all that stuff. Then like on the way back, we had like this very like nebulous um, like tour routing. So basically it was from Vancouver to Edmonton, which is like a 20 something hour drive. So let's call it like between 20 and 22 hours. So we make that drive and we get to the venue that we're supposed to play at. And there's like no one there. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, they said load in is at like three 30. So we're like, okay, well, let's wait half an hour. We're waiting around. We're waiting around. Guy comes in, open, like unlocks, go up to him, I'm like, uh, hey, uh, can we do our loading now? They're like, oh, is there a show tonight? I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, we're playing. We're from Montreal. We just drove from Vancouver like 20 something hours. And the guy's like, oh, crap, like, what am I going to do now? So he's like checking through the emails, checking through the emails. And this is like back uh, in like the MySpace days. So He's the like glory days. Yeah, the glory days, man. It's like some good times. But he's like, he looks at me and he says, Who booked this show? And I'm like, hold on, let me log, let me let me check my MySpace messages. So I log, like I log in, I see is I see the name of the person. I, I mentioned the name. And he, I'm like, Yeah, who's that? And he says, Oh, that's me. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, man. Like our blood went cold, like collectively. How did not remember he booked a fucking show? I don't know, man. I don't know. He got like, like I think he started sweating, and he got uh, two bands to just like show up. We played like in front of them and their girlfriends. We sold like a pin for like a dollar. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like we got, we were supposed to get paid like three hundred bucks, three hundred and fifty bucks, or something like that, and he had agreed to it. He turns around. He's like, yeah, "I got forty dollars for gas money." I'm like, what, bro? That's where not are you going? Get you anywhere. No, like we had a full, a full van, like full of stuff. Four dudes that like were like tired and hungry. We didn't have a place to sleep. And I turn around to him and I say, "Listen, man, we just drove from Vancouver like twenty something hours. Now we're gonna drive to Timmins, Ontario, which is like another twenty eight hours, like." Like, does anyone like have a place for us to like to crash or whatever? 
like no one was willing like to to let us crash at their place understandably like you just called for like just got called for like a, a gig like an emergency gig like who's gonna give you a place to sleep right yeah this guy's turning around and he's saying like 40 bucks i'm like jesus christ man like this is like 10 percent of what we agreed to and uh you know like what what could we do you know like we weren't gonna like tear his place apart or whatever you know like we just like packed it up said okay screw it's a glorified band practice and we put all our stuff in the van and decided okay we're just gonna like we're just gonna keep on trucking and we're gonna go to the next show and the next show is gonna be great so we drove 28 hours and i think in those 28 hours the four of us didn't like we had never contemplated killing each other more so <laughs> like we're, yeah we were just trying to like pass off the responsibility of driving to the next guy because it was just so much driving we had just done like a ton of driving previously right to get to this to this crappy show and like we were switching every like four hours or every three hours to keep ourselves fresh and then it was like every two hours and then it was every 40 minutes and we're getting on each other's nerves and like there was a lot of like falling asleep and swerving and we didn't know what to do so like we like we're lucky enough like up in the middle of like nowheresville and like in canada like our main uh our main highway across the entire country it's like a two-lane highway right with like no lights no nothing so like, we're in the middle of like a forest or something we stopped and we're like okay let's just take a take a quick snooze to the sketchiest like hour of our life and like we woke up we continued driving luckily there was like a service station like uh like an hour or two uh away we ended up like sleeping at that service station for like a good part of the uh, good part of the rest of the night and like we're just like so defeated and we're like okay listen we're gonna like put on a brave face we're in uh we're in the next city now you know it's morning we're gonna relax a bit and have some coffee eat some breakfast you know like just kind of kind of just get through the day and we'll do load in at uh, four o'clock like the guy said so we get to the venue and um, we're ready to load in and there's a there's a guy there but it's not the guy who booked the show it's someone else and i'm like you know where so-and-so is and he's like oh uh why are you asking about him I'm like well because he had booked a, a concert for us we're from uh, montreal and he's like, oh, let me try getting him on the phone because I don't know anything about a concert. And we look at each other and we're like, God, this can't happen two nights in a row. And sure enough, he's like, uh, the guy who we were, we were talking to said, okay, well, the promoter said he's going to be on his way soon. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because like, do we have a concert here or not? We just drove from Edmonton. Like, We drove for over a day like straight practically and he's like yeah i don't know he said he's coming so he should be here soon so it's like four o'clock five o'clock six o'clock i'm like man this show is supposed to start at like seven and like i had seen the flyer like that's the worst part about it right like in like going to edmonton the previous show like i hadn't seen a flyer i just kind of took it for for granted and i was like listen like, there's a lot of shows that were booking all at once everything else seemed to like make sense and I was like, okay, whatever. We like we were going through there anyways. So when we get to to this place, I'm like, 
okay, well, what about these other bands? Message the other bands, no one's answering us. Um, so we get on a call with, uh, or we try to call the promoter again. Now he's not answering. I'm leaving messages on MySpace, nothing. So, like, at this point, we're, like, super frustrated. And the next night was uh, was in Sudbury. So it was, like, maybe a five-hour drive from, from Timmins or so. And the guy was putting on that show, like, we knew. So, like, I, I messaged him. I'm like, dude, do you know this guy? And he says, yeah, why? What happened? I'm like, well, this and this. And I explained to him the situation. He's like, man, like, forget it. It's like, you're not you're not going to even meet that guy. You're not going to see your money. Like your night is a wash. Like, just forget it. Like just cool your heels. And when you show up here tomorrow, I'll take care of you. So like, now we're thinking like we've slept in the van, uh, like four nights in a row, but like we didn't take a trailer. Cause like we were just super efficient at, uh, like packing our stuff in the van. So like the van has like four, four pilot seats. We've been like sleeping almost like upright, for like four days straight while also like driving like nonstop. It's not, not like we had like room in the, in the back of the van to like lay down and stretch our legs or whatever. So at this point we're like, okay, we need a place to sleep. Like, I don't know where we're going to sleep, but we need somewhere to sleep. And the guy who, who was at the venue, who was like trying to help us uh, get in touch with the promoter says, Hey, if you guys want a, a place to sleep, we have, uh, we have rooms upstairs. And we're like, listen, man, that's very nice, but we don't have any money like to spend on on renting the rooms. He's like, no, 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 you don't have to rent anything. I'll let you guys sleep uh, sleep here for free. Don't worry about it. He's like, there's even a shower if you want uh, upstairs. You can take a shower and this and that. That was nice of him. Like, it was, yeah, it was very nice of him. So we go upstairs and he's like, oh, by the way, uh, this door doesn't have, uh, we don't have the, the key to this door. So I'm going to open it up with, uh, with this. And he pulls out like this giant Bowie knife and he like kind of basically like he shoved the Bowie knife <laughs> into the, into the slit of the door. He cracked open the, the latch and he's like, listen, you guys could sleep here. Just lock it from the inside. Um, but I just want you to know that this is a halfway house and the guy who was staying here uh, has left and it's been like two weeks. He hasn't been here, but I think he still has the key. That's why we don't have the key. So if he shows up, like uh, just be warned. We're like, what <laughs> like, What are you talking about, man? Like we're going to sleep here. Like I, I said, like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to sleep here. And we ended up, uh, we ended up crashing in, in, uh, in that room. And like, I remember like waking up like every like hour or so being like, someone's going to kill us. Like someone's going to, like I, and I'm not a very fidgety type uh, in the least, but like, I don't know, man, I kept getting like this bad feeling. And at that point I was like, you know what? Like I have to take a shower. So I go in the shower and I'm like, it was the most disgusting thing, but I was like, listen, at least it's accommodation. I took the fastest non-floor touching shower I've ever taken in my life. <laughs> and I got the hell out of there. I was like, oh God, like, what is this? Like two nights in a row, like just this stacked cases of bad luck. And I was like, let's get, let's get out of like this part of, uh, of the tour and like hope the next, uh, the next part of the tour is good. Luckily, like the next couple of dates up until we went home were, uh, were decent. So 
but that like really lifted our spirits man but that like stretch of it was two shows but it was a stretch of almost like four four days or so because yeah. we were driving yeah from vancouver we left sunday morning and we got there like monday early afternoon and then like we left edmonton jesus must have been like 10 o'clock at night then we got to we got to sudbury must have been like 10 in the morning or something like that like not even the next day the day after that so almost like like, 36 hours later yeah like we burned through like practically a week just being like disappointed and disgusting so <laughs> like yeah. we met we had a joke where like we're running out of like peanut butter and like we're eating peanut butter and ham sandwiches because we ran out of bread mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. we, had, we had to go get some more peanut butter otherwise we'd have to start like eating ourselves to, to keep it going but yeah it was uh it was brutal man like those those two uh experiences like back to back were just like such compounded like crap that it was i think those were the, probably the two worst experiences we've we've had on the road like collectively or like even just by myself because like it was rough man it was rough yeah there were, like there were other nights too like we had we had played a show it was weird it was like a, a double venue kind of thing so like you had one venue on top one venue on the bottom and we were uh we we're booked on the same night as like a pretty popular band um like at the time and like everyone was like, oh yeah, yeah, don't worry, we're gonna come to your show. And like we were like outside of Montreal at this point. Like we were like we were touring. It was like maybe like our second or third show outside of uh out of town, or maybe like I don't know, in the first like batch of shows that we really started like being road warriors and freaking we went on last that on our show, like when the other band was playing like downstairs. And we were just seeing people like file out. Like we'd play like during our second song or third song or something like that. And I just started people like filing out like in waves. And I'm like, what is this? And then there was like no one left. And the promoter turned around and said, "Uh, I don't have your money. I'm like, but what about all these people that paid to get in here? Like it's a hundred bucks. Like you have a hundred bucks. And they're like, and it like unfortunately like for us this promoter was turned out to be like underage and it was an all ages venue so like that's how they managed to book it and we're just like okay you know what good band practice <laughs> and we just packed it up and like well, what are we gonna do you know like threaten a 16 year old or whatever 17 year old kid like we never got our money but what are you gonna do you know like there's sketchy promoters who are like in their 30s and and stiff bands for for more right so yeah that's actually said, you know, happened locally with us so yeah it's it's tough man like it's a kid what do you what do you want me to do like the kid it's a kid you know immature mentality doesn't understand that you make a promise to someone or to like a group of people you better be keeping it you know like we're not raging psychopaths, so we didn't like destroy the place or anything like that. We just said, okay, thanks, and like put them on the do not call list or, or whatever, you know. So that kind of stuff cool. happens. Not trying to interrupt, but like that happens so often or not. And I think a lot of the listeners out here don't understand 
how much that really does go on. Oh, yeah. Like, you travel, you have to think about it in this aspect. Most bands that are on tour don't have a lot of money to go off with anyways. You have to pay for your fuel, your food, mm -hmm. your lodging. Like, a lot of that stuff, like, you might have some money set aside for it, but you're leaving a job if you're working, so you're not getting paid while you're out on the road, and the only set of money you have is selling merch or getting paid at the door, and a lot of the time, you're not getting paid to play these shows. No. No. The pay is very, uh, very not dependable. It's, and, uh, there's a lot of stuff that, like, I guess, like, the fans or, like, people who, who aren't in bands or haven't experienced it don't see. Like, there's a lot of, uh, I guess drudgery is the best word to put it because it's just such a slosh, man. Like you're, you're busting your chops to, to learn your music, to hone your craft, to like, you know, and like, then you're, you're teaching yourself how to be a good performer, you know, like you're trying to like feel it out, see like what the crowd likes, what the crowd doesn't like. And like, I've seen it, man, with like, we've played shows where the, the crowd was like, there was a full crowd. They'd been like, really into it the whole show this and that and like if it wasn't for like having like a, a very lucky night on merch sales like we would have gotten like super stiffed right like if they had promised us x they would come with with half of x or whatever you know it was just uh it's just been like something that we don't really talk about as musicians because like at the same time like they have the image to maintain and with like social media now being like so so invasive and prevalent like you can't like you can't show that you're having a bad time right or that someone stiffed you without like like rubbing people the wrong way or seeming like you're complaining you're, and, or seem like you're right? entitled or seem like you're entitled it's like yeah man i'm entitled imagine like imagine telling like a, a roofing contractor yeah, I'm not like come do come do the work. I don't have like the five or ten grand that uh, it costs to, to fix my roof, but give me your business cards and I'll hand them out. Free you exposure. Know, like, free exposure. Yeah, it's free exposure. Like get out of here, man. Like pay me my two hundred bucks. Pay, we're five guys, four guys, whatever it is. It's like forty bucks a head, you know. And it's not even going to the person, you know. It's going to the fuel tank, to the other like fixed expenses that the band has, you know, like. Maybe Stuff's a sandwich somewhere. A sandwich somewhere, yeah. You know, like you can only eat so much ham, uh, hand and peanut butter that yeah. uh, you need to get some bread going too. So, for future crazy, reference, uh, I've read in places that a human can survive on a spoonful of honey a day. So, maybe yeah, but honey's like 10 bucks a kilo, man. Like, yeah. that's expensive <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I was like, maybe uh, pack in a little bit of honey and some peanut butter and like some peanut butter and honey sandwiches will last you a little bit longer. Yeah, we were we were going nuts eating that stuff, man. Like we were big uh, fans of beans, um, and we would always get the, the Clark's beans. Mm -hmm. So like that was like our standard like if all else fails thing. Like we got this like forty nine or sixty nine cent uh, bean can or whatever it was, and then <laughs> one time we we found uh, Heinz beans on special. For like I don't know, nineteen cents a can, something like ridiculously like small, like low price compared to the Clark's, and we're like, okay, let's get these. But it was only me and the guitarist that said, let's get these. The bassist and the drummer were like, no, no, we're gonna stick with the Clark's. 
So we, we ate uh, our can of Heinz beans. And after a while, man, it just hit us. Like before going on stage, it was no, like no bueno. And we just, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was an upheaval, <laughs> like a gastronomical upheaval, I guess you could say. And it was just, man, I should have sprung for the Clarks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. It was another like less than glamorous uh, part of being on the road, so. The stories that no one really ever knows until you encounter them yourself. Yeah, it's something, man. It's something. We had played a, a festival, actually, a couple of hours from, uh, from Montreal. So we were expecting, like, this big stage. It had been promoted, like, it was a big deal, this and that. We get there, and it's on the side of a highway and, like, in a dilapidated house. So the house, it's like a three-story house with no, like, backside so wherever like where the the back porch would be or whatever was like kind of open and we were playing uh like on the second floor and like the crowd was in like the backyard or the field or whatever because it was in like it was off the highway uh close to quebec but it was like in um it was like in a big open field type of thing and there was this uh there was this one car battery that was powering the whole thing. And like my guitarist plugs in his amp and turns it on and everything just shut down. And then they had to like, they had to like flip the breaker because like his amp was like too powerful to run off the car battery. And then my bassist turned his, his bass amp on. It was the same thing. I was just like, Oh my God, like, there's no way we're going to like this house is going to collapse. and We're going to die. And to make matters worse, the load-in was done over like this really sketchy like little bridge like there was like a, a maybe like a 10-foot drop or something like that between like the main like road or whatever and then like leading to this house it was like the rickettiest bridge ever and we're going like we're carrying amps over this thing we're carrying like drum piece kits over this thing i'm like oh my god like what is this and I had the, I don't know, I had the wherewithal to ask the promoter. I'm like, hey, so uh, listen, um, I know we don't have like a big payout, but you have our money, right? Um, and he's like, uh, yeah, I might not have the money, but uh, do you guys want some cocaine? And I was like, oh my God. So I started laughing. I'm like, <laughs> no, man, seriously. And he's like, and he starts laughing. And uh, my drummer comes by and he's like, what's so funny? I'm like, nah, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have the money, but he offered us cocaine. My drummer starts laughing and he's like, no, seriously though, like all joking aside. And he's like, the promoter's like, okay, well, all joking aside. Yeah. If you guys want the cocaine, I have some cocaine. I'm like, oh my God, bro. Like it's a hundred bucks. You know, like we drove like two, three hours, you know, like it's not a big overhead for us. Like just a hundred bucks. So like we ended up playing, there was, a uh, pig roast advertised there was like a pig that had been like slaughtered and just left in the sun with a beer bottle in its butt <sighs> and it was just like sitting there like rotting. in the sun rotting yeah and i was like oh my god this thing's so rancid then they cooked it and ate it from what i found out That's uh, yeah even... i don't know man <laughs> what type of festival was this this was like it was supposed to be like a death grind festival but I don't know what the hell was going on. Like there was just, it was just chaos. It was like Lord of the Flies meets like a metal festival. 
<laughs> Sounds intense. Like, God, dude, I was like, we played and then we packed up and we're like, all right, listen, we have an emergency back in Montreal. We just bounced. Like there was no way, like we couldn't, we couldn't, man. Like we thought like something was going to happen to us or God knows what, you know, like get cops sacrificed. were going to come or something or yeah, get sacrificed or <laughs> whatever. You know? I've always wondered, and this is, I have another podcast that I do. I've been taking some time off from it, but it's a conspiracy paranormal slash like crazy stories podcast. I interview other people who've had these weird experiences. And I've always wondered if anyone like in a banner has ever come across like, I don't know how to describe it. Basically like not so much like a cult, but almost like a cultish vibe. Like when you go to a place to play and like there's, you play for like this group of people and they're almost like I don't want to say satanic that's like a stereotype I think when it comes to yeah. playing a metal but like they've ever tried to enlist people into their group like if they've ever encountered something like that when they've been out on the road like they've ran into these weird cultish type people I guess at these shows or something uh, man like luckily I, I don't think we had ever like seen anything sketchy like that one time though like my bassist got approached because he was like having a smoke um outside the venue and like this guy comes up to him and he's like are you coming to the orgy after <laughs> and he's like uh no why was i invited and the other guy was like okay never mind and my bassist was like yo i just got invited to an orgy i'm like ah listen dude i don't think we're going to an orgy tonight you know like it was yeah. just <laughs> it was just like so weird like Jesus. Like you, you see all sorts, right? Like, listen, man, there's all sorts of people in, in life, good and bad, like, you know, weird and uh, like, you know, vanilla and like not so vanilla. So that could have whatever. been an initiation, though. Yeah. They could have lured him into uh, making the sacrifice of the night. God, then we'd have to find another basis. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah. Um... On a, one of the episodes that just came out recently, we had interviewed someone from out in Arizona, and I listened to another podcast, and I brought it up and asked because he was out in, like, the desert area. There's stories out from, like, the deserts of, I don't know if it's Nevada or Arizona or maybe in California or whatever, but they have have, like, these big raves or whatever out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. They're, like, they're gothic and vampire. People, like, try and drink blood, and they try and do, like weird sacrifice satanic i don't know but i asked him about that and he had never heard anything about it i was like well maybe it's not as popular as a the guy was making it sound like he's like he got that story was the guy was met up with some stranger at a bar he was at a club and started talking to this guy he's like hey i got this cool party we're gonna go to and he went to another bar and all of a sudden it turned out to they're going way out here in the middle of nowhere and ended up becoming like a big thing to where he thought he was going to get sacrificed to this like crazy cult type people. I was like, that's what, what kind of got me thinking about it. I was like, I wonder if anybody had been in bands that have ever encountered someone because you're not from that area if you're on tour. So it'd be easy for like, Hey, come with us. We're going to let you here crash the night with us or something. And then you, they take you back to their place and it's just some sketchy cult type thing. I, I don't know. I'm a, I guess I'm a weirdo when I think about stuff like that, but I'm paranoid. Dude, no, you're you're it's not unfounded. Like 
listen I, the one thing that like happened to us that was like it was sketchy at the time was like we ended up um staying like we we're going to this um to one of the band's uh, houses to to sleep and like it was just super strange man like there was like uh like t- tortoises everywhere like there was like two or three tortoises that they had as pets and they were watching cannibal holocaust and um like that's like a i don't know like a 70s like yeah i know what it is whatever you know what it is and there's it's like got the big turtle mutilation scene in it yeah yeah exactly and they're like they were talking about the turtle mutilation i'm looking at these tortoises i'm like what the hell is this and then like we just like decided okay like we're just gonna leave and drive back to montreal tonight so we did and then like funny enough like they message us like a couple weeks later and they seemed okay and we're like whatever and then when we went went back to that city like they ended up being the coolest guys ever and then like the the tortoises were still alive like the one guy was like oh man i love my turtles i've never hurt them Mm -hmm. i was like jesus christ man like we thought like you guys were gonna kill these things and eat them like make us eat them you know like some weird ass they're like looking at us like jesus man guys from montreal are weird i'm like (laughs) (laughs) where are we like we like had no idea like we were so naive right and i don't know i guess like there's like a certain naivete you have to have like to leave your comfort zone and to like assume everything's gonna work out yeah Uh, so like call it like gumption call it naivety or whatever but yeah, man. Like, if you don't have that, good luck surviving out there. But uh, I haven't like encountered personally anyone on tour that would do that. Like, wanted to like enlist us or anything. Funny enough, in Montreal, actually, like there was a couple of people that like had found out um, that I had been in music like when I was during my hiatus, and they were like approaching me for like a couple of weird stuff. I was like, listen, man, I'm not into, I'm not into that. You know, like. You know, they were talking about like come to our thing, you know, hang out. Uh, it's uh, you know, you can get to like learn about uh, all these secrets, like the hidden secrets. I'm like, yeah, okay, I have to like pay a fee for this and like dedicate my time. And like, I don't think so. Like, you know, like I already went through that, like being in bands, like paying my fee like every month so I could have a place to jam and like afford equipment and whatever else. And like getting belittled, like I don't need to to be uh, to join like some uh, some other thing that uh, you know makes me have to like force me to believe something weird or whatever. Just like no thanks. It's almost it was, like a weird religion type thing. It, yeah, it is, man. Like it is because like once you start like like creating a, a lifestyle for yourself and like cementing like your beliefs in uh, in something or in the lifestyle itself it becomes a little bit like a religion right so like you do have like when they say like i do something religiously whether you're a religious person or not it means like something that's habitual right so if it's part of your lifestyle you're doing it religiously and if it's like you know if it's taking the dog for a walk like twice a day or whatever three times a day that's one thing going to the gym like a couple of times a week that's one thing but like if your your thing is like going and like reading from like leather bound books and like in a dark room with a candle burning in front of like 20 other guys or whatever. Like, man, it's cool. <laughs> I'll just stay home. I'll go record some stuff like when my kids asleep, when my wife's watching some TV or whatever the case is, you know, like I'm good. Thanks. 
Definitely. That's not a something yeah, that sounds very appealing to me, but some people have a a misguided uh a misguided compass when it comes for like their thirst for knowledge, but listen man, the the my at least my opinion of it is like you you'll like if you're like a decently like mature adult, you'll realize that what you want out of life is is inside of you already and you just have to find a way to like understand like your own thoughts and find a way to like present like your beliefs to someone while like being able like to communicate it uh, clearly enough and without like you know like necessarily like ruining someone else's day type of thing right so like you know if you believe like if you believe in like a higher power is one thing if you believe in if you don't believe in anything that's cool too you know like it doesn't matter what it is as long as like you're not like you're not like preaching like uh yeah destroy this destroy that like you know you can't like the answers are are within i guess what i'm trying to say like they're the outward the outward um search for knowledge like is is limited because like you'll you'll never find like enlightenment outside of yourself you know You'll find information, you'll find other people's experiences, um, but you'll never find like the answer that you're looking for, you know, like these people that like try to like uh, use like, what do you call it? Like not, not on vacations or, you know, like they, they, they try to run away from their problems by like leaving the country for like a year, two years, three years, like go backpacking. I mean, you're going to, learn about yourself but it's not like you're going to find yourself like you have yourself and you can't run away from your problems especially like if your problem is is you you know what i mean like if you don't like yourself at a certain like the way that you are in the current moment and you're trying to like say to yourself that you're going to fix yourself by like going out and like having these different experiences that's not how it works you know like you have to like maybe detach yourself from the notion of finding yourself rather than realizing like who you are and what you are like on your own, you know, like leaving, like leaving a place could be beneficial for whatever reason, but like going to, uh, to lengths to like kind of separate yourself from like your old life might not necessarily be the, the, like the awakening or the enlightenment, right? Cause then when you're back in your own old environment, you pick up the same, uh, the same habits again i mean okay it was cool like to backpack through like southeast asia for like a year but what did you learn besides like banana pancakes or tasty and it's super cheap to vacation there or whatever i think a lot of the issues that people want to not acknowledge is the world is not always against them mm. a lot of the problems that people face start from within yeah, and, and it takes someone to actually acknowledge that and to accept that and work on themselves rather than run away from it. And that can be in all aspects of life with music, with personal lives, like relationships. Literally, it all starts with you. You yeah. have to figure yourself out before you can really become attuned to everybody else. Yeah, that's the thing, man. Like, there's a lot of like there's a lot of blaming in life and like this has been going on since the dawn of time, you know, like 
since we like uh, as humans like develop language, I think we've always like looked for ways like to justify the things that happen to our life, like in our lives, like to us, like good or bad and say like, oh yeah, like if I did something good and like there was a good payoff, it's because I worked hard and had luck on my side or like someone was watching over me type of thing. And if something bad happens, it's like, well, it's like so-and-so's fault, this person's fault, like this other group's fault, this, you know, like you just find, try to find a way to justify why you didn't get uh, your way through blaming other people, right? When it's like, listen, there's two things in life, uh, results and excuses, you know? Like, I don't want to sound like a motivational speaker, but, like, it's there's it's all there is, right? Like, you do something and you succeed. If you don't, and if you don't succeed, you didn't succeed. You know, like, if in rare cases, do you see, like, people actually, like, actively trying to hold someone down like let's say politically or whatever like and that's usually like in in like high stakes situations like with the individuals involved like find it hard to say that every single like aspect of, uh, of a person's life is ruined by like one other person or like bad luck or whatever the case is right like if you show up and do the work like in your own life whether it's like music or or anything else you know like having your own business or whatever if you're not there like doing your stuff no one's going to do it for you you know like we're all like trying to avoid eating a turd sandwich so <laughs> just do your best and, and to move on you know like no yeah. one's gonna you know and the truth is like no one cares if like to make you fail you know like even like people that are jealous of you like they're not gonna go out of their way to make you fail like it just it seems like such a defeatist attitude to me like man like i'm sure i've pissed off people and like i don't think any of them are thinking to themselves man i'm gonna do this and this to screw jimmy over because of whatever the thing is like come on man like they're really like taking am i that egotistical to think that some guy i pissed off a year ago was still thinking about me like <laughs> come on yeah. like bro like your mom doesn't even think about you like just nut up or shut up like <laughs> and move on with life i've always That's, there's actually there's some people around here i won't get into it but it always cracks me up because again it is true like you're not always on someone's mind and if you are on someone's mind that often that they they're that think they have to get you like there's seriously something wrong with that person yeah because you're not that important regardless of what you think people aren't always spending their entire time thinking about trying to get you or someone's trying to sabotage your life or anything like if there are then they clearly have some sort of vendetta that i don't know what the hell someone's done to them but it's pretty sad to be honest yeah but no basically there's just people everywhere and anyone listening this isn't a excuse or anything like that but everyone has to make their own decisions and their own choices to put themselves into a better situation with their own self. Yeah. It takes yeah. work. It takes effort. It takes dedication. That can be for it's... music. It can be for anything without that desire, without that passion, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it could be hard and scary, man. Like it's not, like we're like we're speaking like very matter of factly but like for some people like it's 
they could have like, let's say the technical knowledge to do the thing that they want to do. And they're just like terrified to do it. But like, I don't know, man, like, just, just do it. Like, just like Nike says, like, just do it. Like <laughs> if you don't, if you don't do it, you're never going to get it done. You know, like if you don't, if I didn't pick up a guitar and start playing and writing and teaching myself, I would have never like moved on musically. If I didn't teach myself uh, music production, I wouldn't be able like to to be making music that I'm, I'm happy to record and release and share with people, you know, like it just doesn't make sense. Just do it. Like if it's something that obviously like it's because most things in life are like low stakes, I find, right? Like there's a very few high stakes moves that you can make in life like if you're like barring like being in like an abusive environment or something like that um you know like if you're just like a regular regular schmo like going through life like there's no reason to be afraid because like if you're afraid imagine like the next 10 people you know like they're probably mm -hmm. average like you they're afraid you know like why are you going to be like them just do it like there's a reason why like all these like musicians are are incredible that like you know we look up to we see it all over the place they're like plastered like crazy because they they picked up their stuff and they just they just played you know like name a guitarist that's that's incredible it's because they picked up their guitar and they started playing name a singer that's incredible they they practice their their voice you know like a drummer was same thing, bassist, pianist, whatever, whatever, man, like anything, like, you know, even like uh, a salesman, that's good. It's because they practice, you know, like you're in something like uh, a salesman or a mechanic or something like just like the you know, regular uh, non-creative jobs. It's because you practice and you, you train that muscle, you know, you don't care what other people think or the way they're looking at you or whatever, you know, because doesn't matter ultimately you know if, if my job is to be a, a salesman or a mechanic or a painter like i don't care what they think if i'm painting their house you know like oh look at him he's painting the house yeah okay thanks that'll be like a thousand bucks a room or whatever their going rate is for a painter right so like just just do it dude just grab your instrument play who gives a shit what what other people think you know like hopefully eventually someone's gonna like your music as long as you like your music and it's something that you would listen to yourself, that's where the, where the first small success is. Yep. I think. You yeah, know? I agree. If you enjoy what you're doing, that's all that really matters. Yeah. You know, and like, if, if it's not something that's like high stakes, like, Oh, I have to make it. And that's like also like self, like self imposed pressure and, and stress, you know, like, when we were uh, before we took our hiatus like we had put a lot of pressure on ourselves to like make it to the next level you know like we we're climbing and climbing and climbing and working and grinding as much as we could and we're like okay well, next like next label uh release gonna be like a bigger label it's gonna help us get on like more uh more like bigger tours longer tours we're gonna be able like to quit our job because we could like skate by going away for like three four five months at a time and it didn't pan out and we, we like the four of us uh just stopped playing music like at the same time and then when we chose to like restart uh restart music it was together right so like i had 
maybe like done i'd done like one project uh with a buddy of mine but that was just like laying down some vocals for a couple of songs and like that was like in 2017 and those songs still aren't released so you know like he's still working on them and like he's tweaking some stuff but like it's been a while man like you know just you gotta just do it mm-hmm. like can't be afraid of anything like judgment like come on man like every every producer was judged on their first thing and like everyone forgot about it like a week later you know like it doesn't matter like rick rubin said you always have to be working on the next project what labels yeah. did you guys deal with because i've heard horror stories with dealing with labels is that anything you've ever really had to mess with with uh with sinistry we only really dealt with um with a year of the sun records in ontario they actually treated us very nicely um yeah we've got a music video out of uh out of the deal with them they they helped us with press like they were pushing uh for us really hard but like after like we toured for that album we wanted to go like to a bigger label like century media or nuclear blast or something like that we were like trying to hit uh like hit it uh big i guess you could say like or like some of our friends uh had gotten like successful so like that was like on our on our like viewfinder i guess you could say and maybe we could have stuck it out and like done something on the album after that album but you know it wasn't in the cards at the time uh with through mists i gotta say like every label i've dealt with for like either like a compilation release or um where like an official release has been very fair to fair to me like so basically they let me retain the rights to my song like they like basically they they release my song in physical format and we do like some sort of split on the streaming or something like that which is all like very small right so like they're fronting all the cash to to print whatever it is they print and they're handling like the postage and getting the stuff out to whoever orders it and you know, like that's like that's their risk, and my risk is well, you know, like I don't want to, I want the the music to perform well, and I don't want to like screw over this person who like took a shot on on my album or whatever, you know. So I mean, the labels that I've dealt with uh, that have treated me uh, really good, uh, Trepanation Recordings actually, he's putting out uh, a double album of ours of mine on uh, June thirtieth uh so that's going to be out like on Bandcamp, obviously and on uh on streaming platforms everywhere so the album is called shipwreck and the other album is called chronosphere so that's pretty cool like dan is a very cool guy he's um he released another album of mine in last year in uh 2022 called king of kingdom of the sky so he's always been uh easy to work with very upfront there was a uh, Shane from uh, uh, Morningstar Heathens. He put out another album of mine last year, and uh, the newest uh, label that I'm working with is a label in Vancouver called uh, Syrup Moose Records. So they're very, uh, they're very inter- Like they have a very interesting like way they go about the artists that they work with. Like they don't sign. Like you know, you're not signing your songs away to to indie labels, right? So they they do like a limited tape run and if the limited tape run does well and like sells out uh they'll like press uh, a vinyl at some point or like do some other type of physical release um so you know 
it's interesting. Like there's a lot of like indie labels and like net labels, I guess you can call them that uh, you have to weed through and like find the right fit. But it's not just so much like the, the genre, it's the people that you're working with. So, right. Like these guys have helped me in, uh, in one way or another. And, you know, luckily no one's like pocketed money for me, like whatever little money, like black and death metal uh, is going to make these days. So, yeah, I was thinking like in today's landscapes, labels are almost not really necessary to an extent. If you could have a, the ability to get it out there on your yeah. own, obviously like with distro kits, like 20 bucks for the whole year to put your own music out there. So yeah, sometimes it's like, just from what I've been talking with other people and looking into it myself, obviously, because I've been in bands too. It's like the label is basically making money off of you. Well, some of them are. Mm-hmm. And some of them actually make the bands pay them, which I think is peculiar. Oh, no. peculiar. That, man. Yeah, like that. what exactly are they doing for you that you can't do yourself? Why am I paying someone to do this? They should be trying to get us exposure but if i'm paying them to do this and i can just hire my own pr person and my own booker booking agent and not really needing this label because i can release everything online myself yeah that's the thing man like you have to find the label that's not sketchy uh you know business wise and whatever because like I've, I've been approached by like a few labels that like want me to put like half whatever up front for like CD pressing and this, then I'm like, listen, dude, like I'm not paying anything up front. Like I hadn't paid up front before for a label. Like it's, why would I, why would I need you? You know, like you said it yourself, I have a distrokid account. I could just release the music and I want to press, I want to press the CDs or whatever. Um, myself i'll just do it you know like instead of paying you two grand i'll do it myself for like 500 bucks or whatever it is and i can control the pricing i can control uh everything that has to do with it right so Mm -hmm. like the rest of the money if i wanted to spend two grand on a release i'll throw into pr and have someone like supercharge the the pr and the exposure of the album like there's labels today i think um like let's say like like labels on the scope that i work with it's more for building like the sense of the community and finding a way to like unite different musicians and fans together um more than it is for like quote unquote being on a label to say that you're on a label and you you made it and you're successful and special and all that jazz like the bigger labels like nuclear blast or century media like these like these players i think are more for like the heavy hitting bands that um, you kind of like expect them to be on a label, just kind of traditionally speaking. And the label also, for whatever reason, like buys you uh, some sort of clout, right? So like if, I, if I'm a very like hungry young band that wants to go on tour for like 300 days out of the year, yet I have like a release on Spotify that has like, my hundred monthly listeners, no booking agent is going to look at me serious and say, okay, well you have an album out on 
like Spotify or whatever streaming platform, you have like a hundred listeners a month, you have like five sales on Bandcamp. And what am I supposed to do with you? You know, like at that point, like who, like what booking agent will like help you get booked onto like a unimportant quote unquote important tour. Right. So it's very, uh, it's very cash 22, but then like, there's also things like tour buy-ons where let's say like a big band is playing or like a relatively like big band is, is playing in you as like a small band who want to buy on the tour. Like you could pay a certain price, like to be on the tour and then hope that you recoup that money. And, uh, like through like your guarantees of the show and through merch sales. So there is that Avenue, but I mean, that's hard to do. Yeah. That's very tough. You know, like if you're playing like with a band that usually fit fills like a place with a thousand people, or like, let's say between like a thousand and 2000 people, you're looking at like 10 grand to 15 grand to, to buy on, Yep. you know? And then like, okay, you're, you're doing that for like 20 days or whatever, 20 to 30 days. Are you going to make that back and then make profit? And then like you have those expenses of, of like paying for the buy-on, but then you have like your, your running costs, right? Like your fuel, your food, your um, hotels or whatever the case is, you know, like if you need to bring a roadie on the, on the road, um, who's going to man your merch station like you need tour specific merch or you need like something special right like if you're going to if you've gone through a town like four or five times why is this guy going to buy the same tired t-shirts i saw so, something broken down a couple of years ago and it was for like a 30-day tour for mm-hmm. like a metal band and i forget the metal band i think it might have been die artist murder or something like that mm-hmm. they need to make it would cost them to pay their people and everything else. They would have to make like, I think for them, it's supposed to be like 40 grand for just the, the touring expenses themselves. That's not them getting anything out of it. That's just to cover the cost of them to go on tour for 30 days was $40,000. Jesus. Could you imagine? Yeah. Could you imagine like what other industry do you know where it costs you over a thousand bucks a day to work yeah that's insane like it's i i don't know man like this the system is like a bit uh, broken like i'm not the only one who says this but it's true and like bands get stiffed but and i get it man venues cost money to run to staff uh you know licenses for their alcohol all this jazz their lights their sound security it costs money and like still dude like you're not even like thinking about that point like the the touring staff for mm-hmm. for the band right so it gets pricey man and then like venues now i hear are starting to charge like a cut of the merch yep merch fees we talked about it's, that on a few episodes one of the ridiculous. recent episodes we recorded someone they were getting told that they couldn't sell their merch for a specific price because the headlining bands prices were more than what they were asking so they told them they had to sell at the same price of what the headliners were asking for and they're like a small no-name band and the big headliner selling their stuff for like 30 40 dollars a shirt so the small band that's selling for 10 or 15 have to jack their prices all the way up jesus 
Yeah, that's that's the type of shit that goes on apparently these days. Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. It's like you're set up for for failure, right? So that's the other thing that a lot of people don't understand is bands have to pay for their merch too. Like, unless you've got some sort of endorsement contract worked out with some sort of company, like printing company, like you have to pay for your design work, the artwork. You've got to pay for the shirts to get pressed, your CDs to get pressed. Like there's so, so many costs that go into being in a band, not to mention your instruments, your strings, your sticks, everything yeah. gear wise, your travel expenses. Like you said, if you have to hire a roadie, you have to pay for the vehicle you're using. If you're using a van, you got to usually rent the van or if they're big time, they get a bus, I guess. I don't know. Never been on a bus before. I would not rent a bus, man. It's too expensive. Yeah. But like, I mean, at some point it doesn't make sense not to have a bus too. Right. So mm -hmm. like we calculated and like we did like real world examples of like touring in the van, just the four of us with the gear in the, in like the cargo part of the van versus a small trailer with all our gear. Cause like we were very, uh, we're very like compact and efficient with the gear that we used and putting the trailer uh, caused so much extra fuel burn that it got us half the travel distance for the same amount of gas. So we said, man, like if we're going to like fill up the, the tank with like, let's say a hundred bucks and it's going to get us like seven hours away or eight hours away from Montreal, for like a hundred bucks at the time, at least, um, you know, are we going to start playing only like places four hours away so that we can make that hundred bucks stretch? Or are we going to start asking for double the amount of guarantee for no reason? Like, I mean, it's not, it's not the promoters, like at our stage, at least not like the promoters uh, job to like subsidize our, our gas uh, consumption, but like, that's a choice that we would make, right? Like we would have to choose to buy a trailer, deal with the cost of owning and operating the trailer, and then the fuel costs added to the vehicle to to even move the thing. Cause like, man, I saw that fuel gauge going down with the trailer. I was like losing my mind. There's no way. Like, there's no way. Like it was literally half the amount of kilometers that we were doing. So like, yeah, that's how it was. We went to London, Ontario. Um, and we would play in London a lot. So it's like seven and a half hours from Montreal. And usually we could a hundred bucks or 120 bucks, uh, a fuel from like empty or close to empty would get us to London. And then we would use whatever money we got in our guarantee to come back or whatever, how many shows we were doing to cover the fuel costs. Right. And then like, I remember we played with the agonist, uh, before like they started touring, um like they're started hitting like their big tours and stuff and we played in hamilton in london and they took they took the trailer going down and we took the trailer coming back because i think there was something they had to do something with their van or so, i don't even know what but we were coming back and it was us and us and a few of them in the in our van towing the trailer and i'm just looking at the fuel and like my guitar is like okay we've got to stop for gas i'm like dude what are you talking about we're like we've been driving for like two and a half hours he's like yeah well we're getting low I'm like, what the hell? and then you know they for like they confirmed it after they're like yeah you know 
fuel costs like skyrocket with pulling the trailer and like the four of us in in our band said okay listen executive decision we always have to find a place to sleep because the cargo part of the van is going to be filled with gear mm-hmm. and like we we couldn't like what are we going to do how are we going to go smaller you know like we had like at least we only had like one guitar amp you know like his stack or whatever and then like one bass amp stack and like my drummer's drum kit like my my mic the cordless mic was inside the the bassist uh, rack so and luckily we had four pilot seats and we had four members so it makes it real hard to sleep sitting up oh yeah dude especially whoever's sleeping in the driver's seat oh forget it mm-hmm. forget it it was it was rough a couple of nights were, were rough like that like i'd mentioned earlier but there were some nights that we had good shows and good turnouts and we still slept in the van and it was not fun at all. I've never enjoyed sleeping in a vehicle. I've struggled to actually do it when I've drove across country for other reasons. Like I've pulled into gas station rest stop areas and tried to sleep mm-hmm. for a couple hours and I don't think I ever slept. Or yeah, if, I, no. if I did, it was for like five seconds at a time, maybe. Yeah, yeah. it's very tough it's very tough to get comfortable and like to have like restful sleep. Yeah. You know, like you're kind of, cause you're kind of exposed at the same time, like the window, like how open is the window going to be right? Like the windows open a crack. If it starts raining or it gets really windy, you know, that's another thing. Like these are like, I guess first world problems at the same time, but like, you know, you take for granted uh, quality sleep until you're on the road living the life you know mm-hmm. so that's no. what i see i mean like listen if i have a son you know and when he's old enough to to choose to do this if he wants to do this if he tells like if he asks me like what do i think i'm gonna tell him that just go do it if you really want to do it do it because like there's no point in in wondering right like so i i didn't have to live my life wondering what if uh you know i don't think anyone else should but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't scare him to the point to say like, oh yeah, be careful. Cause like, whatever, you know, you're in a park in some, like, uh, some like a uh, rest stop and like a bear is going to come and eat you or <laughs> some stupidity like that. Like we were told like the, the craziest stuff, man. Like we were going to Vancouver. They're like, oh, careful. The tectonic shift makes the roads uh, uneven. There's pumas in the Rocky Mountains. I'm like, oh my god, bro! What, what do you what do you think we're gonna do? Stop in the middle of the Rocky Mountains and like build a camp and sleep uh, sleep in the woods and like wait for like the wild animals to come eat us? Like, <laughs> very beautiful, very beautiful scenery though. Like, incredible, uh, British Columbia. But it's yeah, you know, you don't do stupid stuff when you're out in the wilderness or out in the yeah. road. Hopefully, you know so. You never know what's out there, too, or who's nah, out dude. there, or who's out there. You know, you want to like attract the wrong, uh, the wrong energy, right? So that's, uh, yeah, you learn that with like life experience, and just like you know, have a good time, be respectful, keep your head down, I guess, for like a little bit of it. Like you don't need to be in any, anyone's face for no reason, especially like they're strangers. You don't know what what people are going through in their lives, like even in your own hometown, like let alone like some like 50 hours away. Right. So, mm-hmm. 
So I don't know. That's my take uh, on that. Like, just just be cool. Just be cool. Hopefully, people will be cool back. And no, avoid, I agree. Uh, yeah, avoid the confrontation. Like, fight for fight for what's yours. But like, listen, there's limits, man. Like, we got stiffed right on on like pays and shows and stuff like that. Like, what's what's the real alternative, right? Like, be jerks and bash them on social media. That was that would have been useless. We would have burned the bridge, uh, potentially, and like not necessarily with that promoter or whatever, but like anyone who deals with that promoter or bands that, like other bands or maybe even like a label like Google's you, and let's say like big label A is interested in you, and then they Google you and they see that you're talking crap about the promoter or a show and everything. It looks it's a bad look. You know, it's a bad look. Like if you got stiffed, deal with a person that stiffed you and you don't need to make it public. Like you're not like in a class action suit against uh, a corporation that like defrauded you, you know, like some guy stiffed you on 200 bucks and like beer tickets, you know, that's the case. Just don't work with them again. If anyone asks you, just be honest and like, don't get too, too detailed about it. You know, like it's it's shitty to say, but like, what's the other recourse? And what a small claims court for two hundred bucks? You know, like it's uh, it's useless too. You got to roll the punches, which is unfortunate, and it's uh, the reality of it, though, right? Like live live gigging. I'm sure there's there's uh, bigger, more established bands that have gotten screwed out of a payday or or whatever the case is. So. Um, definitely. Well, yeah, I think we can wrap this one up. What we usually do is we play a song from the artist that we've interviewed at the end of the episode. So is there a specific song you would like to send that I can add to the end of this and you can talk about it a little bit? Yeah. Um, is it like, would it have to be like on streaming already or no? I just need an MP3 or a WAV file. So whatever you prefer oh, to have perfect. on here, I can just I just add it to the audio file when I put it into my DAW or my DAW or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. And I just add it on there at the very end. It's how we end every episode is with music from the guests we just talked to. Oh, okay, perfect. So I'll send you um I'll send you the song Chronosphere from uh, the one of the double albums coming out on June 30th. It's the title track of the album, Chronosphere. It's um, the opening track, and it's actually one of the favorites, one of my favorite songs that I've ever writ <clears throat> written. And it's got a lot of different dynamics in it. Um, like it touches a lot of uh, a lot of melodic piano parts. There's a couple of like really like driving, uh, hard driving, like like really like uh, groovy and brutal like metal parts, like really really like. Uh, driving the point home there's like a weird little like dance break that i put uh towards the end of the song it's just for me it's it was one of the most fun songs to like write and then just like like realize it from conception to, to final result and i was just like i'd been listening to like the demo version of it for like the longest time and i was just like in love with it i was like this is one of my favorite songs that i've ever written so I think that's a good call to uh, to go with. 
but yeah that album's coming out june 30th along with uh it's like twin album uh shipwreck so and that's awesome. going to be on uh yeah on uh trepanation recordings you could find it like on the band camp and on the uh through mists oh band through band oh, jesus christ i forget uh how the uh, band camp link works through mist.bandcamp.com and uh, again yeah, on streaming platforms everywhere so awesome awesome well jimmy i appreciate you coming out tonight and talking with me thank you and, brendan i really appreciate uh being here yeah it's been a pleasure anyone out there still listening if you'd like to be on an episode you can send an email to brandon at darksideofthescene.com and we'll get you scheduled on a future episode again thanks to jimmy thanks to you guys for checking it out we're gonna roll on out now so catch you on the next one thanks friend have a good one hey you too